Alright everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Beat. I'm of course Nick Baumgartner, joined this week on this Thursday by Colton Pouncey. We'll do a little Michigan State talk this week. The Spartans of course dropped to uh, one and two with, you know, Colton, it's been... I don't know. Colton, how you doing first of all? We'll get into this in a second. First and foremost, Colton, <laughs> talk to the people. How you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, it's been a little bit of a roller coaster here the last couple of weeks. A little bit. Just a little yeah. bit, but uh, no, I'm doing good. Excited to talk some Michigan State football. Yeah, a little bit of a roller coaster is uh, one way of putting it. Maybe a roller coaster that would be not safe for people to ride if uh, <laughs> it were in an amusement park as it goes from, you know, all the messes we saw against Rutgers to looking like they'd been studying a game plan for six weeks against Michigan to looking like a total mess in a number of different ways uh, in Iowa City. Colton, you were there. And before I sort of get into my what I saw watching it back, um, I'm curious sort of what your feel was both live and then sort of what your feel was when you went back through it um, and sort of took another look later in the week. Well, I actually want to start before uh, before the game started, like just kind of my take on it. Like obviously mm-hmm. coming off of that Michigan game, you're kind of you're kind of wondering what's what, what we're going to see from this team uh, going forward. Are they going to get that same type of performance every week, at least that same type of effort, the game plan, preparation, all that, um, or is it going to be a little bit, a little bit of a letdown um, coming yeah. off of a, an emotional high <laughs> from that Michigan game and right. winning the Paul Bunning Trophy? What were they going to do against Iowa, an Iowa team that was kind of reeling there? You know, they dropped their first two games, yep, and I two. think. Mm-hmm. I think they lost those two games by a combined five points. So it wasn't like they were getting blown out either. So yep. I was kind of wondering what we're going to see. And Iowa just came out and straight up like punched them in the mouth. Like mm-hmm. that was a team that played frustrated. They thought they should be 2-0 and right now. Um, and then 3-0 and after that game. Um, you know, they were physical in the trenches. Um, you know, they were they were tackling everything. They, they weren't letting those Michigan State receivers get behind them for the most part, um, kept everything in front of them. So that that was a different Iowa team than I was expecting to see. I wasn't really sure, again, you know, they came off those two losses to start, but it really looked like they wanted to write their season right then and there. And honestly, it looked like they wanted it more than Michigan State. Um, and, they, and they showed it with their, with their physicality and, and their toughness in that game. Yeah, they did some of the stuff that I think we thought Michigan might do to Michigan State in the, you know, in, in the fronts anyway. I mean, the offensive line for Iowa obviously just starts the game um, – just starts the game out by just hammering people. I mean, I don't know how else to say that. I mean, the the, yeah. the situations we saw last week or two weeks ago, rather, you know, where Michigan State was able to hold up inside against the Michigan offensive line that, you know, as we've kind of come to realize here separately, you know, Michigan's offensive line is having its own issues. But point being is that, you know, there's some things offensively, I think, that, and we can get to that in a second, but defensively for Michigan State, a lot of this was just getting beat at the point of attack. It was just getting... Um, you know, completely just rooted out. I mean, all the stuff that we saw from, you know, Jacob Slade maybe a week ago that looked so good. I mean, he did not have a great start to this one. No. They just weren't able to hold up inside. I think there were some questions from Mel Tucker about the linebackers and whether or not they were taking the proper paths and some of that stuff too, which I think, you know, is fair because there's times where we saw that against Rutgers. We didn't see that as much against um, Michigan. And then I think we did see some of it again here in this one, but Iowa also, more than that, I think they targeted guys that they knew just didn't have the type of speed that they were going to need to get on the edge and make plays, especially early in the game. Yeah, you know, I, I did see some, some poor pursuit, some bad angles from the linebackers bad and angles, other players. Yeah. Um, I, I felt like watching it back, there were maybe fewer misfits than there were in that Rutgers game. And I, and I think a right. lot of it was just 
Iowa was blocking everything perfectly. Like, you know, they were pulling. They had some guys reach a second level without much effort, blocking mm-hmm. guys like Chase Klein, Noah Harvey, and those guys. And um, even, like, the defensive linemen. Like, Drew Beasley had a really rough game. He was getting blown up by the, by the Iowa offensive line, their left tackle over there. I think he's, like, 6'6". So mm-hmm. he had a rough day. Um, some of the interior linemen had a, had a rough day. And the linebackers... That was always a question for me going into the season. Um, obviously, Antoine Simmons is a stud. Um, he's a four-star guy. Really yep. dependable. You know what you're going to get from him week in and week out. He was kind of banged up in this game. Uh, I believe he came out maybe the second defensive drive. Um, you know, He kind of got banged up at some point and was in and out of the game really for the rest of the way. So he wasn't yep. 100%. So that obviously caused some issues. We saw a lot of Chase Klein uh, next to Noah Harvey and... You know, when you lose your best linebacker and you already don't have a ton of depth there, it's going to cause some problems. So I think that was part of it. But overall, I just think Iowa, they came out ready to play and they were more physical than Michigan State. Yeah, I think part of the Simmons thing there, you kind of nailed it, is that, you know, he's not um, he's not an elite athlete, I don't think. You know, I think he's good enough. Um, but what he is is an elite, you know, IQ guy. I mean, so he doesn't, you know, he, he rarely goes the wrong the wrong way. He's he's not making mistakes. I mean, even in this game, and early in the game, I think there was a play before he goes out where he makes a nice play and, and they get a stop on something that otherwise would have been, I can't remember what it was. I had it written down, but I mean, like it was another, it was a classic Simmons play where, you know, he just kind of read, read what they were doing. It was one of those, you could tell he studied the whole thing from filming. Mean, that, that's the stuff you lose when you lose Simmons is you lose the ability to have that kind of cerebral, um, you know, piece in the middle of your defense that sort of ties all that together. And while, you know, somebody like Chase Klein is more of a, not to say that he's, he can't be cerebral too, but it's more of a, He's kind of a cut loose and go, you know, guy. There was a couple times where, you know, he shot through a gap where it was like a thousand miles an hour and he needed to be 75 miles an hour and he ran himself out of the play. Yeah. You know, there are times where Nora Harvey's making the right making the right stuff between the tackles and he, he, he makes a fit or he just gets blocked or they try to challenge him on the edge and he just can't he just can't huff it over there. So really when you look forward at Mel Tucker's program as they continue on here, those those linebackers in the middle of the defense uh, I think what you'll see, and maybe you've already seen this in recruiting, Colton, is that you will need more speed. You will need more sideline to side. Even if you have to give up some bulk, um, you know, that's something where, you know, I think that that's desperately lacking in the middle there is more sideline to sideline stuff. And then really there's there's some things defensively. Like, I mean, what did you think? You tell me. Jalen Hunt and um, Deshaun Mallory are two guys that I look at and I say, okay, there's a couple times in this game where there's two young dudes in there Big guys, they got, they can, you know, create some knockback. It's not always consistent. It's not always there. But there's a couple times where both of those guys make a couple plays, and you're like, okay, I'd like to see more of them. So there's there's some things that you know Xavier Henderson, I think, is a nice a nice player who who comes up and cleans some things up for them. I'd like to see maybe more of him be more active in the box. Maybe they do some things with him as they go forward here and settle into what they're trying to do. And I think a lot of it right now, obviously, Colton, as you said, is getting getting your assignment task down to where you're confident to what you're doing before you start tinkering. But I, I don't know. I mean, I look at I look at them defensively and I say, okay, on one hand, there's days where I say, I just don't think they have enough to do this right now consistently against, you know, the upper half of the league. And then there's other days where I'm like, I, I don't know if they're as far away maybe as, as you'd think. Obviously, they're not there, but there's some interesting, interesting pieces to work with, I think, defensively in there. Uh, up front, uh, maybe on the back end, just not not any consistency yet. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. Um, that was something that Mel really preached after that game. Uh, just the fact that, you know, they showed one thing against Michigan and you come back next week and 
kind of get your ass kicked. So yeah. I think you, it's, it comes down to consistency because once you show that what you can do and that's you have that tape out there, the coaches, I know that, you know, they're going to take their time. They understand this is a process, but the coaches are going to expect more of you. Um, they don't want to see you make mistakes that you made in week one. They don't want to see you continue to make those in week three. So I think they're really stressing that. And again, even though they don't think they're going to compete for a Big Ten championship right now, I mean, you got to set the tone with what you want to see from your players in year one. That's a whole point of the season for Mel Tucker and those guys. So I, I do think, again, part of it is lack of depth. And they got to get some guys in here that can, you know, be able to play on the edge and, and stop those uh, end arounds and, um, yeah. the, you know, those outside plays. Because a guy like Noah Harvey, I think he can be a useful player if he's in the right situation. But I'm not sure the fit is there right now because you watch him – on a jet sweep that went for 27 yards in that Iowa game, I mean, he read it right. I mean, he attacked yes, he the, the ball him. carrier Im- immediately. Like, he mm-hmm. diagnosed it immediately. He just took a poor angle and was not fast enough to overcome that mistake. So, I mean, you got guys like that on this team where ideally you would have someone with a little bit more speed. Um, and I think maybe that's where recruiting can help you in the future. I mean, a guy like Jamari Button that they were going after a couple months ago that they lost to Penn State, he's a guy that – it's probably a little bit faster, a little bit more athletic that can maybe make a play like that when he's developed and, and in a system and things like that. I think that's why you target players like that in recruiting. And I think we're seeing what they want. It's just a matter of getting those guys in the program and, and kind of, you know, nurturing them and bringing them along. But until then, like Mel said, uh, Tuesday, they they have to play with the guys they have. Um, you yeah. know, he, when he came here in February, he told the players, I don't care if you played for a previous coach, like you're my guys now. So we have to work with what we have and you guys are my guys and I'm going to get you up to speed. So, I mean, that's all they can do right now. But it, you know, with that four two five and the things that they want to do, it's obviously going to take some time. The frustrating thing for Tucker, I think, and you know, Colton, obviously after the game, he was maybe more animated than he's been. And certainly Tuesday, he was, it was like a venting session. It felt like that he was, I think they kept, <laughs> he yeah. talked for like an hour on Tuesday and uh, Michigan State kept saying, you know, he's got to go, he's got to go. He's, he's <laughs> running out of time. And that, he just kept going. That, right? was like, like, that was like an Izzo press conference. That was, yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah. Yes. He just kept sort of like venting uh, some of his frustrations. And a lot of them are very understandable because it's really difficult, and I'm going to flip this around here. And, and so much of this, we look at a game like this, 49 to seven. Iowa runs for, you know, 226 at five and a half a carry, and you just think, okay, well, they just got mauled defensively, and that's that's it, right? Which is which is true. It's not wrong. Uh, but the thing that's going to frustrate Tucker the most, and maybe this is why you know I think he was so angry, was you go from week one against Rutgers, where situationally they were a mess. They were a mess in situational discipline in like every scenario. If they if they could have made a mental error in a critical spot, they made two, right? Like it was like one of those things yeah. that they just – and then they go to the next week against Michigan and all of that, for the most part, goes away. So you show the coaching staff that you can sort of do some of that. And then you go here and on your first offensive possession of the game, I'm just going to walk through this. So Michigan State gives up a touchdown on the first drive, so it's 7 nothing. Okay, that hurts, right? You get the ball back. And then on your first play, you try the jet sweep with Naylor, and somebody just doesn't block anybody, right? And it's like people—I know Michigan State fans are tired of the jet sweeps and all this sort of thing, but this thing is set up to gain seven to ten yards, but a receiver or a tackle—I don't know who—doesn't block anybody. Then you get a little screen to Jaden Reed that picks up what you lost, which is not bad. And then you try to tempo on third and one, and you jump off sides. So now what happens with that is, is you go from third and one with your entire playbook available to bouncing back to third and six, 
You already don't have much margin for error. Now your playbook is shrunken in terms of what you can and can't do. Iowa knows what you're going to do. And it results in Lombardi running around trying to avoid a sack, and he ends up throwing basically the, a punt. An arm punt, uh, yeah. That's intercepted, right. And so when these are, there's examples of this offensively for Michigan State basically throughout the entire first quarter and most of the second to where this game you turn up, you look up, and it's 28 nothing, and you wonder how that happens. And a lot of it is on the defense, but, I mean, that first offensive drive, Michigan State uh, mistaked itself off the field. The second one, uh, you start out, you get to third and four, and, you know, you've had the false start that screwed you on the first one. The second one, you get to third and four, and Connor Haywood runs an out route a yard short of the sticks that's completed and does nothing for you. So you have to punt, right? Yeah. On and on it goes. The same thing happens on the next drive. It, you, there's all these things that just continue. They have a drop on third down on the next drive. Then they lose leverage on a punt return. And it's so my point is, is that Iowa didn't need Michigan State's help. In this game, right. and Michigan State gave Iowa an awful lot of help, and that, I guess, is really what I when I went and watched this back. I said, okay, well, now I understand why he was why Mel Tucker was so frustrated because they went from show, you can't show your coaching staff that you can play with that kind of mental discipline, and then just go right back to doing the stuff that you did before, and that's exactly what that was, yeah. which has got to just drive you up a wall. No, hundred percent, and. Again, Mel was very animated. That was probably the most animated I've seen him since he's been at Michigan State after that game, and 100% understandable. Um, Just a lot of it was just mental mistakes, beating yourself up, and you know we can't put it all on the defense. You know, there was an interception return for a touchdown and a punt return for a touchdown. I I thought the punt coverage team was really bad, and for a guy like Mel who preaches offense, defense, and special teams. You know, it's not just the offense and defense. Your, your special team's getting you in, in a bad spot, giving up field position, touchdowns. Then you really have no choice because – no chance, really, because if your offense is not playing well, only seven points on the board, and your defense is also giving up 70, 35 themselves, that's – you're not going to win many games like that. So I think that's what he ta- what he's talking about. You know, we need the consistency. Um, you know, you can't show it one week against Michigan and then come out the next week and lay an egg. And – even if you're not winning games, you don't have to win every single game on your schedule, but you'd expect to keep that more competitive after what you showed the week before. And I think he just didn't like the effort that his team put forth and he wanted to set a tone. So that's what it was to me after the game. Um, certainly understandable. He kind of carried some of that over the following Tuesday. And I mean, if I had to, if I had to bet, I would expect that that team's going to look a little bit more ready to play this weekend. But again, in, I don't know. Indiana's looking good too, so that might still yeah. be a loss. But yeah, it's, it's hard to say with some of this stuff because you just don't know, right? Where it's like you know, Lombardi goes seventeen to thirty-seven, ends up with three picks, and you know, you, your default is well, if you take away the deep shot, maybe they just don't have anything. And you know what? <laughs> maybe maybe that's maybe that's part of it, right? Where the offensive line, and I thought there were moments in this game early where the offensive line was getting a couple decent swings in there, obviously with some missed blocks, but it wasn't bad. I thought there were some vision issues from the backs too. I think it was a full-on display of sort of missed assignments, which is kind of the problem here because you can't, you know, go through a week of practice sort of thinking that you've arrived in a scenario in a season where you've lost to Rutgers. And I wonder (laughs) if that, you know, I mean, everyone – was very happy and excited about you know the way Michigan State performed at Michigan, and then you just go back here and, and this whole thing falls apart. And yeah, I mean, I think that this is another great example in another a long line of examples of Mel Tucker talking about you know I'm going to take this as an opportunity to reestablish culture here and reestablish consistency. And you know, like I don't care what happened here in years past. If you did have you had the ability to you know 
slump through a week after you had played well the week before or whatever it is. I mean, they, they're just not good enough to get away with that. And I think that this is a great reminder of exactly that, where you don't, where, you know, they lose to Rutgers in a shocking fashion. You don't want to beat them up too hard if you're the coach. Obviously, you don't want to lose anybody from a confidence standpoint. But then they can't, you can't go back and show that you're capable of doing things from a focus standpoint the way they did for the Michigan game and then just turn right around and just give it all away. I mean, like, that's right there. That's a great example of when Tucker says we needed, we want to establish a new culture and change the culture. And you know what? I mean, it seems like it was needed because this is the type of stuff that, you know, these these yo-yo efforts, or not efforts, but yo-yo with the focus and just sort of going through the motions sometimes and thinking that maybe you're just going to be good enough to grind through it if you're not ready to play. And obviously uh, we've seen that that's not the case. Yeah, and you know, Mel was asked about after the game just if he thought his team just maybe didn't get up. Maybe they were still riding a high from that Michigan game. And he said he didn't really see that in practice. But, I mean, I thought it was pretty clear in the game. Like, I mean, yeah. they were feeling themselves after the Michigan win. And for good reason. That was that was a great win. Nobody expected them to get that game. It really did a lot for recruiting and, you know, just setting the tone for the rest of the year, I would say. And the question you the question everyone had was, will they be able to keep that same focus, that same mentality after a game like that? Again, part of the neutral thinking that Mel Tucker talks about is not getting too low after a loss, not getting too high after a big win. You know, they didn't get too low after the Rutgers loss, and they came back and won. So now, you know, you can't let yourself get too high after a win, and I think that's what they did against Iowa. So, again, those are lessons that you kind of work out in year one. Um, It's going to be a little bit of a roller coaster to start, but I think the hope is that you reach a happy medium um, mm-hmm. where it's not doom and gloom, but it's not like, hey, we're going to the Big Ten Championship after beating Michigan, you know? So yeah. I think that'll come. You have to think it'll come at some point, maybe not this year. But, again, all of, all of year one is about establishing that, establishing that culture. It's not really about signage on the wall, like Mel said. It's about the way we want to play, the way we want to prepare for these games and how we bring our focus each and every week. Still playing a lot of guys, Michigan State. You can look at the box score and see that they've got you know guys all over the place. Getting some some guys are getting a little bit of reps. A lot of guys playing a shared amount. It seems like. Who are some of the guys, Colton, for you that maybe you have been surprised maybe by how they performed this season and pleasantly surprised, and maybe some others where you're wondering you know maybe what's going on so far. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of tough to say. I I mean. Pleasantly surprised. I think there are some obvious candidates like uh, Ricky White, who had that big mission mm-hmm. game. Um, Jalen Naylor, like we've all we've seen what he can do, but I think he's right. being a lot more consistent. You know, he had catches of fifty six and fifty seven, maybe in that in the Iowa game. Like he was, yeah. I mean, he's had some big fifty yard games this year. So I, he's really shown me what he can do. We talked to him um, a couple of days ago, and you know, he was just talking about just want to be more consistent this year. You know, he's finally healthy. Uh, you know, he likes working with receivers coach Courtney Hawkins. I think those guys have come along well. Um, defensively, it, it's tougher to kind of point to some guys yeah. because, you know, obviously they've been kind of hit or miss. I'm trying to think on that back end. I, I kind of like the way Michael Dow was playing. He didn't have a yeah, great game. Right. But, uh, you know, Mike Trussell talked about him as a guy that in their old defense might have been a star linebacker, mm-hmm. um, might have bulked up, bulked up to play that position um, at some point in his career. And so I think they like working him into the mix there. Um if they need a third linebacker, I don't think they'd be afraid to like go back to him on certain certain occasions. I know he's playing that nickel spot, which is a kind of hybrid spot anyway. Right. Um, but he's got some size, and he's got probably more foot speed than maybe some of the other depth that they have at linebacker right now that they're not really using. So he's a guy I'd like to see more of. I know he's kind of splitting that role with Shakur Brown. Um, 
But, uh, yeah, it's kind of tough to point to those defensive guys right now. I don't know. What do you think? Dowell, Henderson, uh, Mallory, and Hunt were guys that I circled and said I'd like to see more of those. Like Mallory and Hunt for sure. Yeah. Um, In terms of guys up front that, you know, on a team where we talk a lot about, you know, can you get any consistent push or can you get any knockback? I think like – I'm trying to think of what Raquan Williams and those guys call it. Like, I don't know if it's havoc or destruction or whatever, you know, whatever the hell phrase they use, but guys that can just reset the line of scrimmage, right? Yeah. For you right at the front. And I think that Mallory and Hunter guys and Slade, although Slade did not have a good game in this one, I was yeah. I was interior did whatever it wanted uh in stretches early in this one with him. But I we've seen enough from him to where I still think he's a guy that's, you know, on a good trajectory. But I look at a game like that and I think I say, okay, well, there's a couple guys in here that you know they're getting into it for the first time. Maybe they're maybe they're further along physically or better physically than I thought they would be. And those are those are two Hunt and uh, Hunt and Mallory that I can see more from. But it's again, I I think that a lot of this is still sort of you're just playing a bunch of guys and trying to figure out you know who you can rely on and who you can count on, and and that's coming in really short bursts, and it's just not coming enough. Julian Barnett didn't play in this game again. Is that correct? He didn't? Nothing? No, he actually did play. He got he the, did play? Uh, because um, Chris Jackson, who's, who had been the starting corner, he didn't play in this game. So okay, Julian, that's what it was. Barnett yeah. got the start at corner. Okay, but he was kinda, never mind. He's kind of in and out. That. So yeah. he played, but it was in and out. So, I mean, like, and, and obviously he's a guy, too, that's so talented athletically that you know it's going to be it's going to be a minute or whatever, and obviously they had some... Uh, I don't know what they had with you know him not playing early in the season, but either way, it just it feels to me that they're still trying to figure out a lot of who we can trust, who we can't trust. But you know, ultimately, this has to be a lesson in you know a crowd or no crowd. You can't go to Kinnick Stadium and just think that you're going to be able to just sort of glide through this thing because I mean, that's it. The game was over in the first 15 minutes. It was done. There was no there was no hope after that. You're not going to fall down 21 nothing against Iowa and win. You're not going to fall down probably 14 nothing against Iowa and win you know, with the offense the way it is. And I think the thing that frustrates them the most is offensively, it's not it's not good, but it's not so far away from being passable to where it's better than I think people maybe realize, if that makes any sense. Like, I think it's the, the stuff that's holding them back, I should say, offensively is not physical. It's mental stuff. And, yeah. you know, the, the jumping offsides on third down, dropping passes on third down, uh, you know, I think at one point Lombardi ran the wrong play or the back ran the wrong play on a first down, which wasted, wasted down. I mean, you can't do these things, burning downs, running short of the sticks. These are things that are bad habits. These are things that, you know, the culture change is going to have to catch up with. But ultimately for this team this year right now, they're better offensively than what they showed in that game. And I think that that was my biggest takeaway is that Defensively, okay, they've got a long way to go in a lot of areas, but offensively, they have limitations. They're not this bad. They're not that bad. I don't think. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think they're as bad as we saw uh, Saturday in Iowa. Well, think about what we've seen from the offense so far and what we know about the coaching staff. I mean, yeah. we thought coming into the season that the offensive line would maybe make some strides uh, just with Chris Kapilovic and some of the things he's done at other places. and. They had some talent. I think it was more about finding the right combination because um, they had a good mix of, of veteran guys that you know obviously haven't proved themselves fully, but mm-hmm. you expect them to be better later in their careers and some young guys with some talent. So I think maybe they're still looking for the right combination. It looks like they're getting a little bit closer, but then you have a setback against Iowa where, I don't know, you might have to just throw that tape out, tape out altogether. Um, but So the, the rushing game is still coming along. And right. 
you know, a guy like Jordan Simmons, you know, he's been the guy, I guess, uh, if you want to talk about between the tackles runners, but they don't really have yeah, a guy yeah. just yet. Like Connor Hayward is more of a pass catching back. Elijah Collins is still MIA. So they don't have – actually, we did see Anthony Williams a little bit in this we game. We did, and it was a little awkward. It was he's wearing a different number, number one, and number two it was – Well, like yeah, so let's talk about him. He started – when he came to Michigan State, he's wearing number 34. And then he yes. switched to number nine at nine, some point yeah. midseason, which I was like, who the hell is number nine? <laughs> right. I remember thinking that last year. And now he's at 39, so I don't know what's going on there. But he did get in the game. He did, yeah. And – I, there was a hole that was wide open for him. At, on one I was play. just going to get to that. Yeah, and and again, one of my things with him is that he's not a great between the tackles runner. I exactly. think he wa- always wanted to bounce it out to the outside. That's exactly what he did on that play. There's a wide open hole up the middle, and he just took it to the edge for no reason at all, and didn't go far. So they've got some guys. It's just what's happening here. Is the offensive line not getting a push for you? I know that's part of it, but you also have to figure out what you have at running back, you know, with exactly. Elijah Collins not playing. Are you going to let Jordan Simmons lead the carries? Like it doesn't seem like they're willing to go there yet. Cause he's a true freshman. Connor Hayward's still going to be involved no matter what. And it's like, you still got guys like Anthony Williams and Brandon Wright just kind of sitting around waiting for their opportunity. So they have to figure out the rushing attack. And the other thing we know about the offense, probably the only consistent part, which I wrote about today is that they're really good on those deep balls. Um, mm-hmm. They've connected on six passing plays over 40 yards already this season, which is top 20. And the other teams that you'll see in the top 20 have all played at least five games. So they're doing it at a higher rate than a lot of teams in the country. That's been a consistent part of their offense. They can rely on it when they want to because of the skill positions they have at receiver. And honestly, like it's good now, but it would be help- they, would, they would gain so much more if they had a consistent running game, had some more balance, so they weren't always having – to rely on the deep ball because let's be honest that may or may not be there every single week and when it's not yes. there you're going to struggle you're going to put up seven points um so i think they got some things that they have to work out on offense but there are pieces to to you know have a functioning system right here i think it's about as much figuring out who can do what you know what i mean like who yeah. can do what well and like you said it i mean williams between the tackles there was a split zone play early in the game there where it's pretty decently blocked on the right side, but he goes to the left side and just gets eaten up where there's a decent gap, you know, opposite that. And it's just kind of like, well, you know, that's a that's a missed hole by a young back, but it's also kind of like, like you said, like, you know, that's not really his strength. His strength is to be sort of a guy who can, you, you move around in motion. They threw that swing pass to him on the next play. Um, you know, he can do some things like that. And, you know, he can maybe be a, be a stretch player where he's running outside zone or things of that nature. And that's all in the package, but I think it's it's about figuring out specialties of each guy and, and kind of what 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 is his strength, what is this guy's strength. Whereas we've seen from Jordan Simmons, right, where if it's if it's between the tackles and you tell him here's your landing point, you get one cut, he's pretty good. You know what I mean? He can make that work. Where if it says you you run right off this guy's hip, we're going to give you one cut, put your head down and go then he's going to be able to find, if you block it for four, he's going to be able to find four. And he runs hard enough to where he's not going to fall backwards. He's not going to get knocked off of his base. To where normally when he gets tackled, Jordan Simmons is going to fall forward and get you an extra yard, right? Like that's what you like with a guy like that. Collins, I think, is struggling, it seems, with you know the stuff that made it work for him a year ago oftentimes was his patience and sort of his vision and ability to, to sort of uh, navigate around missed blocks, I guess, maybe yeah. is the best way to put it. <laughs> and where I think in this case, maybe it needs to be less of that. Because I think they're actually, I, I don't know, I mean, <laughs> sound the alarms here, but I think they're getting better push 
up front. It's not great, but it seems better to me than it did certainly a year ago uh, at this time. And it seems better to me progressively as we go forward here through the season. It's not a disaster. It's not consistent. But there's more yards there for Elijah Collins to find. I think certainly you could say that about you know a Williams carry. Hayward is never going to give you a ton in the backfield. So I think it's it's going to have to be about, and the same goes for the wide receivers, it's about finding you know your top, let's say, three backs and five receivers you want to settle in on. And here's the hierarchy. Here's the order. I know the rep chart's been the big thing, but maybe that needs to be more you know sort of dialed into a here's what we're going to do here's the guys who are going to play and we're going to go with them we're going to let them go in the soak and you know get a longer soak in there and see what happens maybe that can cure some of it i don't know but that i i I guess my long long takeaway here would be that i understood the frustration and why it was so sort of animated for mel tucker and i don't think it was for show because i think that he probably knew like look maybe we don't win this game if you're michigan state saying this but, like, it should have been more competitive. I mean, there's really no excuse that, that it was this bad this early. They, they had things offensively that if they hadn't, you know, sort of screwed themselves, who knows what would have happened, right? And that's kind of the thing where you just can't. Sometimes that's hard to uh, hard to stomach. And if you have a team that's okay stomach it, stomaching it, then you're going nowhere. And that's obviously why you saw the reaction that you did. Yeah, uh, you, you can't really yell at your players for not being talented enough to win games right. in the Big Ten right now. But what you can do is... Get on them for not showing the same consistency, not showing the same effort that they've showed in past. Yeah. So I think that's what Mel is trying to do right now, and we'll probably keep it up in practice behind the scenes. <laughs> I tell you what, and this is a good segue because I think what Mel Tucker needs right now, more than anything else, is the ability to bring like twenty-five guys into this program and say, "I'm releasing these guys into our program to take all of your jobs." And I hope that you know how to hold them off because if it's close, I'm going to give it to them. Yeah. And that, you know, recruiting is where I'm going with this. A couple of big wins for Michigan State, or one big win anyway, I guess. A couple of big wins, we can say that. But notably, a local one, Colton, that we've been waiting on for a minute. We talked about it on the last episode. Um, but Rayshon Benny obviously uh, commits to Michigan State. Um, a big one there. And just overall momentum after that Michigan game, it seemed like there was some there. I, I don't know if... This game dials it back in other areas, but in terms of a recruiting message and recruiting pitch, you know, so far, got some juice out of it anyway, right? Or maybe that was going to happen anyway, but at least maybe that sealed it, you know, one way or the other. You know, the funny thing is, and we mentioned this earlier, you know, Benny was supposed to commit October 25th, which was the day after the Rutgers game. Mm -hmm. Um, He pushed it back. uh, And, you know, when he committed to Michigan State this week, he mentioned... You know, actually, I had my mind made up that I was going to Michigan State before they even played Michigan. So yeah. I don't really know how much that game really factored into his decision since he said I was already kind of – I knew where I was going to go at that point. But I'm sure it helped. And at the very least, if not for guys like him, that game really opened a lot of eyes for a lot of guys in state. Uh, just, you know, not only 2021 but 2022 as well. But, you know, to get a guy like Benny, who's a top 200 player – uh, you know, Michigan State recruited him as a defensive tackle, but I mean, if they needed to, they could play him at offensive tackle as well because he was pretty good, exactly. pretty good player there um, in, yep. high, in high school. So really long too, yeah. Yeah, he's about six five, uh, two seventy five right now. So he's got a good frame, good size. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's a player that those are the kind of players that you want to see. I think after the Iowa game, uh, and you saw maybe how much they struggled in the trenches, just getting outworked and, and outblocked a lot of times. Like a guy like Rayshon Benny, you would expect once he's along in the program, you know, he's going to be a disruptive force if, if he kind of develops into the player that they think he can be. So 
those are the kind of players that you need in this program, just long bodies, those power players that Mark Tantonio used to talk about. Um, mm-hmm. Benny is one of those, and he's a four-star guy. He's immediately the top prospect in the class. Um, it seems like they're still going after some some guys, maybe some flip candidates here and there. But uh, Benny was a great first start. Um, the class is kind of rounding into form right now. But to get a guy like Benny over Michigan, we talked about over the summer, yep. you know, winning those battles against your in-state rivals. Uh, that was a big one to win. Michigan wanted him. It wasn't one of those. Oh well, we right. we stopped for someone else. Like we didn't. We lost interest. Like no, that was a battle all the way through. And in the very end, Michigan State came out on top. Iowa wanted him. Kentucky wanted him. Notre Penn, Dame wanted him. Penn State, I believe. I think he has an Ohio State offer. I don't know if it's real. But I think he was reported to have one. Penn State, like you said. Yeah. So Oregon. I mean, so this is a legit. Yeah. I mean, this is exactly what you said. This is one of those power guys. The guys that are very very difficult sometimes to sign and the guys that you can never have enough of, I guess is probably the best example that we just said it with, um, with uh, Mallory and hunt, like two guys inside who can be difference makers for you. Two guys who, if you can, you know, you can get some knockback from them can help you out in so many different ways. And, you know, with a guy like Benny, who's six five two eighty, really what you're looking at is you say, okay, well he could play inside on defense. He could play outside on defense. He could be an edge setter if you wanted him to. Uh, and if, yeah, I mean, if you wanted him to flip around and play offensive tackle, if that's the project you wanted to make, uh, with his whole thing, he could do that too. So, I mean, like, those are guys he has, and it's a long way away, but he's the type of guy that if you watch him play, he has enough natural power, speed, size combo to where he's going to have eyeballs on him from a pro scout standpoint pretty early. Those are the guys that you can't get enough of, right? And that's a big win for a number of reasons, obviously. You mentioned a couple of flip candidates. Do we want to get into uh, some of those? Because I know, folks, uh, those are always... Those can be juicy a little bit. Yeah, I if mean, it seems they're like, real. It seems yeah. like there's some buzz for uh, <laughs> Andrew Anthony. There you, you know, go. The guy who really got the ball rolling when we had this conversation over the summer about, okay, well, is Jim Harbaugh going to continue his recruiting of Michigan? Is Michigan State going to make a push here? That was a kid that Michigan State thought they were getting up until the very end. And then Jim Harbaugh, uh, Josh Gaddis, Michigan came at the very last minute, said, hey, come play for us. And that was yeah. it. And, you know, I know his dad grew up a big Michigan fan. I think he had some family influence there. But, I mean, that was a that was a kid that Michigan State wanted, and they lost him. So that was a loss for them. They're, they're trying to take a small receiver class. So they haven't really pivoted to too many guys since they lost out on him. But, I mean, if you, if you follow some of the tea leaves, you know, they had yeah. a lot of prospects from Michigan State that are currently committed, uh, you know, tweet at him basically saying, hey, come play for us. I know you're about to change your mind, you know, things like that. Because he tweeted out something kind of right. kind of cryptic, you know, a little hmm, <laughs> with the eyeball emojis after that Michigan right. game. Uh, yeah. So, you know, recruiting is fickle. And, and like, these guys, you know, they, they like attention, and that's perfectly fine. They only get to do this a couple, you know, once in their life to pick a school and all that stuff. So certainly understandable uh, why you would want to maybe drum up some interest for yourself. But uh, it, it seems like Michigan State is not done recruiting him. And – I'm willing to bet that if he wanted to come to East Lansing, they would take him in a heartbeat because they really liked him. He's a local kid, um, about 6'2", pretty good route runner for his age. Um, you know, he's a guy that's good enough to play for Michigan. He can play for Michigan State. He got offers from, like, Notre Dame, Penn State, Wisconsin, a lot of notable programs. Mm-hmm. So that's a kid that you take um, if he wants to yes, flip. Yes, yes, so, and they will recruit him all the way. They'll absolutely. recruit him to the end. I mean, you do that You do that regardless of the whole thing. So obviously those these are situations that are going to pop up for them as they go forward here and, um, you know, who knows how, what COVID is going to look like one way or the other. But, you know, the more he can sort of sell. But obvi- also I, I think the frustration comes into the point too where it's like, 
if Rayshon Benny was supposed to commit after the, <laughs> the day after the Rutgers game and he says, I don't want to now because you embarrassed yourself on national TV, like those are the things that you can't have. And I think that he sort of knows that. And going into this week's game, obviously you mentioned it briefly there, Colton, but Indiana is, I guess, I mean, not not probably anymore. I mean, they're the second best team in the East, uh, certainly. They've beaten Penn State. They handled Michigan. Um, Michael, Michael Penix, I know Michigan State fans saw him last year. Uh, early in the year, looked very good in that game. He's better now than he was then, which was saying something. I mean, Indiana is a very, very confident football team, uh, one that will, again, and that's why it's so important, I think, to sort of get that shock factor in them this week because if, if they have the same effort or the same focus, it's going to be the same exact situation, albeit at home this time. Because Indiana, I mean, I just watched them back again doing a Michigan story for uh, for the film on that one. I mean, Indiana is really, really good. A lot of, a lot of the situations... Uh, that gave Michigan problems were Michigan problems, but a lot of them were Indiana problems too, problems that they created for them. So um, a tough one here. Do you see what, what are you looking at going into this one? Uh, I, I know some of these are harder to glean a lot of stuff from, but I mean, if you're, if you're asking yourself, okay, I want to see X, Y, and Z, what are some of the things you're looking at going into this one? Well, I, I'm thinking back to last year's game and I know I probably shouldn't because there are a lot of new changes, but right. just knowing what I saw from the Indiana offense, you know, they really, sort of dink, dink and dunked Michigan State's defense to death, a lot of stuff to the outside where the linebackers yeah. weren't fast enough to get there. And picking a, picking apart, you know, Penix, I think, completed 20 in a row at some point in that game. Like, he finished, like, 33 of 42, was very accurate. They were just getting the ball out quick. They had no pass rush for him whatsoever. Um, he was able to sit back. And when the pocket did break down, he was able to use his legs and get outside and make plays. Mm-hmm. And those receivers are really good blocking downfield as well. I, very I think good, that, yeah. was, that was something I saw in last year's game. So – I'm kind of wondering, I know the 425 is still coming along. Would you say the 425 might be better equipped to handle that quick passing attack with maybe an extra DB on the field? Or yeah. like yeah. what what do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that was part of their problem last year is that they didn't have the nickel out there enough um, and they were ended up getting burned in space on it because you know a lot of times what ends up happening is is Indiana just takes numbers um, you know, away from the run play and they just throw that thing out to the if they've got three receivers up high, they'll just throw a screen. If you've got two defensive backs up there, you're in trouble. And if you have two defensive backs up there and an overhang that's a 6'2", 240-pound linebacker, you're in trouble because he can't run. He can't get out there in time. So I think that, you know, having more athletes on the field is going to help against teams like this. I think that's why you do it. Um, you know, Michigan State plays a fair amount of zone. And, you know, Mel Tucker's obviously been known over the years for his cover three and the match stuff. I think it'll be Interesting to see how they defend Michael Penix uh, comparatively to what we saw from Mark D'Antonio oftentimes and then what we saw in that game where it was enough, I guess, technically in that game because the offense gave you enough on the other side of it. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, he's at a point now, though, Penix is one of these, like, veteran college quarterbacks that just doesn't need to see very much to really burn you. You know what I mean? So if you yeah. make if you make a hiccup here or a misstep there – that's all. I mean, he gets rid of that thing so fast. And, you know, there were a couple times on Saturday where, you know, Quiddy Pay, who's one of the best pass rushers probably in the country right now in terms of just win rate, you know, at the line of scrimmage, was just thrashing through guys and getting, like, on his back pretty quickly, but it didn't matter. I mean, he, he had the ball out right in the window, and it was money, and it was, you know, first down and keep it moving. So that's a big thing, too. You're, you're going you're gonna to struggle and be frustrated when you're sort of rushing him because he can get rid of that ball so fast. He kind of throws it from his ear uh, at times. If he, if he has to, he's quick on his feet, like you said. Uh, and he's pretty accurate. I mean, like, so I, I just, that's, it's a different animal altogether. But the other thing that separates Indiana for me, I think, is 
Stevie Scott and a pretty decent run. This is a really good team. I think that's the long and short of it. Tom Allen has been like busting his ass for years to get Indiana to a point where they could kind of break through against you know some of those higher level teams in the East, and they've done that, and they're really really confident. And Michigan State, I gotta think, is not as confident, but maybe a little shell shocked. Maybe maybe it was a good thing for them. I think that what I would like to see is the attitude and sort of are you going to be here to play? Or are you going to be here to, we don't know what yet. Is it going to look like Rutgers? Is it going to look like Michigan? What's it going to look like in the first quarter? Are you going to hang around and bother some teams? Because Michigan State, I think, has enough. We saw it against Michigan. If they play with focus for four quarters, I don't think they have enough to like be you know, uh, six and two or something. But they have enough to bother some people in a weird year like this and maybe steal a game down the road. I don't know. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. impossible. And that's kind of the frustrating thing where you say you say it's a weird year. A lot of people have a lot of problems going on right now. If you could just play with some focus, you never know. So for me, it's the first quarter. I want to see, you know, what's what's it going to look like physically up front? Are you going to be ready to go? Or are you going to allow yourself to just sort of, you know, hesitate, second guess, and then you'll be down 21 nothing in a blink because Penix isn't going to waste any time on that. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a really good point. Um, you can kind of tell with this team early on how a game's going to go. Like yeah. they they kind of reveal right themselves in the first quarter, and that's going to kind of script the rest of the game. So that that's a really good point. And I mean, this Indiana team is a lot of fun to watch. You know, they were they are. yeah. I think they were my breakout team along with Purdue. Um, I had Michael Penix as my breakout player in our like Big Ten preseason preview. Uh, so I'm excited to see this team. I'm, I've heard so much about them. I've seen them take down Penn State and Michigan and. You know, I think if, if if you ask Tom Allen before the season, you know, how would you feel if you took down those two teams? And well, I know it's yeah. a little different, but he would take that in a heartbeat. And now yeah. his team's doing it, and they're three and zero. And you know, Ohio State's not playing this weekend, so if they win that game, all of a sudden they're first place in the East. You know, look like, out, yeah. <laughs> so just by default, but it, I mean, it's interesting. No one would have really predicted this, even though we did see the progress coming. Um, they had kept things close the past two seasons against Michigan State. You know, I was I was in Bloomington for that uh, 2018 game, and yeah. Michigan State was up 20 to seven, and that Indiana team did not go away. I think Peyton right. Ramsey was starting back then, uh, but you know he got them close. It was 28 21, and then Michigan State kind of capped it off with a you know, Jalen Naylor jet sweep for a touchdown late in that game. So yeah, there's that. You kind of felt them coming even back then. Last year was really their true like, okay, we're going to set ourselves up here. This is what the season's all about, um, and they. I mean, they took a lead against Michigan State in the fourth quarter in last year's oh, game, yeah. and they had a lot of people feeling feeling nervous. And even though Michigan probably State probably should have won it, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. even though Michigan State won that game, I remember the the feeling after the game was, man, like I can't believe we let Indiana get that close. Mm-hmm. That ended up being probably their best win of the season last it year. It absolutely was, yeah. So like there was that's that I think that's a sign of how how these two teams have kind of changed in the past year or so. Like back then, Michigan State thought they had a chance to win the Big Ten. Obviously, they fell short of that. Now they get a new coach, and they're going through a bit of a rebuild. Iowa, uh, or sorry, Indiana, you know, they were using last year as a showcase for what they want to do in the future. And now they have Penix back, and he looks better than he's ever been. Um, The defense is still good. I think Tom Allen's done a good job on that side. Uh, And that team is just, they play with so much confidence. They know who they are. They're not really afraid of the, the powers in the Big Ten because they've already beaten them. So, I think that's that's the challenge for them is to kind of keep that play going. Uh, you don't want to get too high, just like we talked about that Michigan State team, you know, the, mm-hmm. off the game in Michigan. I think it's the same thing for Indiana. Okay, you beat two of the best in the Big Ten East. Don't fall flat against a team like Michigan State. So right. that might be the challenge for them going forward in the rest of the season. Um, 
But it, it, this game is really a microcosm of these two programs and kind of the different directions they're going. Because now I think Michigan State wants to be in a place where Indiana is, where they're competitive. Yes. You know, they're building young players. They're they're using this year as a showcase for what they can do in the future. And they're going to recruit well and, and get the guys that they want. So I'm really excited to see this game. Um, I don't know about you, but I think it'll be pretty interesting. Yeah, because, I mean, you nailed it. Because all those guys in 18, Stevie Scott was probably like a sophomore or second-year player. You know, Fillior and Freifogel. All these guys that offensively are now seniors that are just, they look like adults. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's the best way to put it. They look like grown men. Uh, are ready to roll. So it should be an interesting one. Another ride on the old roller coaster here, Colton. I hope your <laughs> seatbelt is holding up uh, as this has been a wild year. Continues to be that way. Um, we'll be back again, I'm sure, next week to talk it all over. Uh, Colton, this is a noon game, right? What channel is this game on? Let's see. We know the channel on this one? Nobody? Uh, noon game. You can find it on your TV either way while Colton's looking it up. Either way, Michigan State, Indiana on Saturday. Colton will have you covered on that one. I will be around as well with Michigan and Michigan State both playing. And then next week we'll come back here. Uh, and I'll probably have Colton on again next week. Brendan's in golf territory here doing the Masters. I don't know. Are we excited for Brendan, Colton? He got up at like 5 o'clock this morning to... Uh, Covers first I, Masters round. I, That's I think, be a big day. I think Brennan jinxed the Masters. I mean, they had a, a like a rain. Oh, they rained out. Okay. Well, there you go. That's perfect. <laughs> for at least so, part of the day. Yeah. <laughs> In any event, until next time, everybody. For Colton, I'm Nick. Be sure to take care of your bartenders and servers, and we'll talk to you later. Happy farewell to the county, the place where I.